Welcome to the First Assembly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message and find encouragement through the Holy Spirit. Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be in the house this morning. And uh, I was going to say, it's so good to see your faces, but I can't see any of your faces. And uh, here we are. And what a time we're in. This is the very first time I've been able to preach online this morning. It's being viewed. And uh, how much fun is that? I I thought it would be kind of cool this morning if what we did is we turned the cameras around. And instead of um, you looking at us, we were looking at you. How many think that would be a good idea? And then we would know once and for all, how many people actually come to church in their pajamas? That would be good. And if that's your apparel of choice this morning, I want you to know that uh, I approve because when I'm at home watching online, I'm in my furry house coat, my pitch, my slippers, and a big mug of coffee. So wherever you are, in the house or online, we're so glad. And if you're visiting and you've just found us as you're, you've been surfing, um, we're so glad that you've decided to uh, hang in with us for a little while this morning. Well, here we are, five days from Christmas. And is it just me, or is this hard to believe for anyone else? Because how does it get to be the 20th of December already when this has felt like the year that would never, ever end? Days had dragged into weeks and weeks into months, and here we are, and 2020 now is almost in our rear view mirror. It's been a hard year, a year full of losses for so many. And our hearts and our prayers have been with you and will continue to be with you in the days ahead. There's been very little peace on earth for so many different reasons. And for most of us, this Christmas is going to look different as well. I actually started planning for Christmas in January of this year. Now that's unusual for me. And Marshall and I, we've been married, it'll be 40 years, if you can believe that. 40 years in 2021. And uh, I have never had Christmas dishes. I don't know why. I've had opportunity to buy Christmas dishes, but just never did. But in January of this year, there were just some great deals on Christmas dishes. And so I said, I'm all over that. And I bought a couple of sets and I had it all planned. I was having 16 people around our table this year for Christmas. Now, never done that before. We've got kids in Calgary, going to fly our daughter in from Phoenix. She's a nurse there. We've got cousins in Calgary and I had it all planned out. It was going to be perfect. Well, that is not going to happen this year for us. You know, I got thinking about Christmas not working out this year, and I thought if I were going to be honest, the truth is that Izingas don't have a great track record with Christmas being perfect. It seems like something always goes sideways. There was the Christmas that I was scheduled to work at the hospital, and uh, Marshall was on holidays. We just had one child then. And I said to Marshall, you know what? We're going to your mom and dad's for Christmas. Don't wait for me to finish my shift. You take Drew and the food that I had prepared for Christmas, and you get a head start. You go into your mom's. I'll work tomorrow, and then I'll come in. And he said, are you sure? And I said, oh, yeah, that's fine. No problem at all. So um, they all packed up and I naively waved goodbye at the door. What we hadn't checked and hadn't planned for, that a massive storm was blowing into southwestern Ontario and everything was shut down, including the roads. Well, I never made it to London and they were having Christmas full of fixings and I was stuck alone at home 
in a house with a couple of cans of tomato soup. Then there was the memorable year that we went to my mom and dad's apartment building. And that year, my mom and dad, Marshall and I, all ended up with food poisoning. I cannot even begin to tell you how sick we were. I was a minute away from calling an ambulance to come and get us all. A very bad Christmas memory indeed. And we certainly can't forget about the Christmas Eve that Marshall just completely disappeared. We had gone to my parents' house again. I don't know why we did that. It hadn't worked out really great the last year, but back we went, had two kids then, we tucked them in bed, and I said to Marshall, now that the kids are asleep, why don't you just go down to the van, get all the gifts, and we'll put the the presents under the tree so when the kids, kids get up, it'll just be like it would be at Christmas morning at home. So off he went. Now I have to tell you, at best, this job should have taken mm, 10 minutes max. 20 minutes, Marshall isn't back. 40 minutes, Marshall isn't back. 45 minutes, Marshall isn't back. And as you might imagine, exactly, oh, oh, I was not too pleased because clearly he was not focused on the task at hand. And then it occurred to me that I was hearing a peculiar bell ringing in the hallway of the apartment building. And I opened the door and the bell was ringing and there was a workman out there. And I said, what is going on? And he said, and I said, what's that bell ringing? And he said, oh, that's the elevator emergency bell. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And some poor guy's been stuck in there for an hour and a half. (laughs) And that would have been, that would have been Marshall. So there we go. Another Christmas Eve ruined. But all of those stories pale in comparison to the Christmas Eve I set myself on fire. We had just got home from the Christmas Eve service. It had been just about perfect. And and Marshall, he he was helping in the kitchen. And the kids and I, we went upstairs, got on our new Christmas pajamas. I came downstairs. I beat the kids downstairs. And instead of putting the buffet, what we would traditionally have to eat on Christmas Eve, on the table, it was kind of formal. I had arranged it all on the coffee table so it would be easy for the kids to get at. And um, I, I was looking at everything and... I just wanted to rearrange something on the one side and I reached over to do that. And what I wasn't aware of is that the candle that I had reached over top had caught the arm of my house coat on fire. And I distinctly remember sitting down and thinking, man, it's getting hot in here. (laughs) Another Christmas Eve up in smoke. So here's the question for us this morning. What do we do when Christmas isn't perfect? What do we do when Christmas is sad or lonely or just different? Well, friends, you go back to the old familiar story and you remind yourself why we celebrate in the first place. So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles or if you're on your phones, if you want to turn to the Gospel of Luke. It was a couple of years ago that I realized that this extraordinary story, it had become ordinary for me. Well, how does that happen? I think I had heard it so many times and I was so familiar with it that uh, it had lost its wonder. And I think that that can happen for all of us. So two years ago on December 1st, I sat down with the Gospel of Luke and I began to read one chapter a day. Well, there's 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke, and so that would take you right to Christmas Eve. And this morning, I want to share with you a few things that I found just in those first two chapters. So we're calling this sermon today, A Christmas Revisited. 
It'll come as no surprise to you that it was Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke. He writes a quick introduction and then he immediately sets the stage by introducing us to Zachariah and Elizabeth, a godly priest and his wife, who the Bible says were fully following the commands of the Lord, but they had been unable to conceive as the story begins, we find Zechariah the priest entering the holy place to burn incense before the presence of the Lord. Now, I could just skip right on there, but I want to stop for a moment and I want to point something out. Luke says that Zechariah was chosen by the casting of lots to go into the presence of the Lord. Now, that sounds like a little bit like Las Vegas to us, and we're like, really, a casting of the lots? And yet, that was the model, and that was the custom of the priesthood in that day, was the casting of the lots. So it would appear, as a, if we were just going to read it quickly, at a quick read, that he was just chosen randomly, or maybe it was just Zachariah's lucky day. But it's important to understand that at that time in Israel, there was only over 20,000 priests serving, and they had been divided in divisions of 24 with about 1,000 priests each. So no priest would ever have the privilege of offering incense in the holy place twice in his lifetime. You see, man had not chosen Zechariah with a casting of lots, but God had chosen Zechariah long before. And now God was at work behind the scenes and his plan for the redemption of all mankind was just beginning to unfold. As Zechariah goes in to offer the incense, an angel appears and not just any angel, but Gabriel, the one who stands in the very presence of God. And this is the, what he says to Zechariah. His first words are, fear not. And I have to say, wow, the first message of the Christmas story is fear not. And is that a good word for all of us today in the world we find ourselves in and as we step into 2021? Fear not, he says. I have come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Well, this is good news, but this is more than just good news. This is miraculous news. Because the writer Luke tells us that Elizabeth was old and well beyond her childbearing years. And Zechariah, well, he was even older than Elizabeth. And the King James says that they were well stricken in years. That's quite a description, isn't it? And yet Gabriel announces a son, a son would be born to them. Don't you just love it when everything in your life says it'll never happen, there's no way, the game's over, just walk away. And then God steps in and everything changes. Well, you may ask as you read the story, well, why the delay for this son? Why this achingly long delay for this baby boy? Here's why. The promised son that the aging Elizabeth is going to give birth to would grow to be John the Baptist. He is the forerunner of Christ. He had to come before Christ. He could not have been born any sooner. God's timing was perfect. And here we see again God strategically aligning things just as they needed to be. God's denial did not, God's de delay did not mean God's denial. 
But there's something else I want to show you here. When Gabriel says to Zechariah, I've come to tell you that your prayer for a child has been answered. Commentators believe that the Greek verb that's used here can also allow for this translation. I've come in response to prayers that you don't even pray anymore. I've come in response to prayers that you don't even pray anymore. Would God respond to prayers that we'd actually ever given up hope of seeing an answer for? Would God in his goodness respond to prayers even when we've stopped praying? That's exactly what he did with Zachariah and Elizabeth. He broke into their world with the unexpected news of a long-awaited son. Friends, it's the Christmas story that reminds us that nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. It's likely some of you today are dealing with deep disappointments like Zachariah and Elizabeth were. Your storyline may be different, but the pain is just as real. Things have not turned out the way you had hoped. And we need to ask ourselves, how do we respond in seasons of waiting, in seasons when disappointment calls or sorrow pulls up a chair? I think this story gives us the answer. We trust God's good plan for our lives. We leave the unexplainable in the hands of a God who loves us. And like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we just keep on doing the right thing. We keep on going. You see, they would have prayed for years with no answer, but they kept on loving God and they kept on serving people. God, help us in our seasons of waiting and disappointment to do the same. Well, six months later, Gabriel finds himself on another assignment. He stands before a young virgin in the village of Nazareth, and not she's just an ordinary girl from an ordinary village. Commentators say she was likely between 12 and 15. And Gabriel says to her, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and he has anointed you with great favor. Luke writes that Mary was deeply troubled over these words and bewildered over what that may mean for her. But the angel assured her and said this, do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and you will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. What was Mary's response to this life-altering news? She answered, as his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have said come to pass. She simply said, yes, unequivocally, yes. One commentator says this, the Lord had set his gaze upon her willingness. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The Lord had set his gaze upon her willingness willingness. I'm sure none of you have any memory of this, but I actually preached the first sermon here of 2020. It was on January 5th. And if you go back to that message, you will find one of the key points was what God can accomplish in our lives when we say yes to him. I think it's really interesting that I began the year and now I'm almost closing out 2020 with this same message. We have no idea what God can do with our yes. I'm a, I'm a person who wants to say yes. We're a church family that wants to say yes. Well, we have two adorable grandchildren. Our grandson Garrett will be two in March. 
But from the time he was about 15 months old, anytime you asked him anything, he would say, yup. Garrett, you want to get down now? Yup. Garrett, you want to have a bath? Yup. Garrett, you want to go outside and run a couple miles with your dad? Yup. Garrett, you want liver and onions for lunch? Yup. He was a tiny little yes man. And while being a yes man is discouraged as we go into adulthood, I have to wonder if in God's economy, this isn't exactly what he's looking for. Men and women and young adults and boys and girls that say yes to him. One of my favorite yes stories is the story of Norma. She was a widow in her 70s with a limited income. She was part of the church that we pastored in Waterloo, Ontario for 28 years. One day she came into Marshall and she said, Pastor, I think the Lord wants me to collect socks for the homeless. And he said, Norma, that's amazing. How many pairs are you going to collect? And she said, well, I'm not sure, but I'm going to start with 100. And Marshall said, okay, great. What can we do to help? And she said, well, if you would just pray for me, that's what I need the most. So Marshall prayed for Norma, and off she went to collect socks. It wasn't long after that that Norma was in a store, and she was buying two dozen pairs of socks. And the cashier said to her, that's a lot of socks for one person. And she said, oh, they're not for myself. I'm, I'm collecting them for the homeless at the shelter downtown. And um, she said, well, that's amazing. And Norma said, now, I only have enough money today to buy two dozen pair, but I'm going to be bought back because you guys have a great sock department. Well, the man behind Norma overheard what Norma was saying. And he said, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And he ran back to the sock department and he came back with 50 pairs of socks and he bought those for Norma. And as you might imagine, the word started to spread and people started to give Norma socks. And then Norma had an idea and Norma got brave. And Norma decided that she was going to start knocking on doors of businesses in our community with a letter from Marshall verifying who she was and what she was doing. And those businesses, they thought it was great and they started to give her socks too. Well, I'll never forget the church morning, the morning that our church family gathered around the altar and we laid our hands on those socks and the people that would one day wear those socks and we began to pray. Norma had collected 10,000 pairs of socks, all because one little widow in her 70s had said yes. God does his best work in those that are humble and available and willing to be used. So what might saying yes look like in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, we know what it looks like for First Assembly. I I called and I said, Angela, I need you to verify for me. How many boxes, how many care boxes have gone out from First Assembly? Because I must have the number wrong. She said, it's 2,400. And I said, 2,400? That's a staggering amount. How is that even possible? But folks, this morning, I want to ask you personally, for you and your family, what might saying yes look like in the middle of a global pandemic? We still have four days to Christmas. Marshall and I know what it's going to look like for us, but there are scores of people, single parents, parents with kids with special needs. There are widows, there are single adults, there are kids that can't travel home. There's the elderly, there are people in quarantine, there's the hurting, and they would love a call or a card or baking or a little gift just for them to know that they're not alone at this time of year. And while we're all grappling with the fact that Christmas is going to look different for us, can I tell you that often the best way for us to deal with our own disappointments is to reach out to others. 
So look for a need and then say yes in response to meeting that need. You know, I read the account of Mary again saying yes, and I have to begin to list all of the reasons that she had to say no. Who would ever believe such a wild story? An angel appeared to you, and now you're pregnant. Oh, okay, sure. Joseph would certainly leave her. He would know definitively that this was not his child. Her parents would have had every reason to abandon her. And by law, the community could have stoned her. It's a wonder that the fear of what could have happened didn't cause her to walk away and refuse. And God knew that, and he had Gabriel directly speak to that in verse 30 when he says to her, do not yield to your fear, Mary. And I read that verse over, and I think, "Ah, do not yield to your fear, Mary. And I wonder how often fear has kept me from saying no. And fear has caused me to shake my head in refusal. And fear has stolen the adventure of just saying yes to him. And here's the truth, at least for me, I know it to be true. It's in the times when I beat back the fear and I've dismissed all of the reasons that I've had to say no, that God has proved himself in ways that I could never imagine. I just saw this posted on a friend's wall last night. Whatever, whoever, whenever, however, my answer is yes. Whatever, whoever, whenever, however, my answer is yes. If you're familiar with the Christmas story, you know that in Luke 2, the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus ordered that a census would be taken that would put Mary and Joseph, her nine months pregnant, on a 90-mile journey to get them back to Bethlehem. Imagine that. Just imagine that. It would have taken them probably eight or nine days at best. On one of the trips that Marshall and I had taken into the Holy Land, we stood in a kibbutz and we looked over the hills where Mary and Joseph would have traveled and down into the village of Bethlehem. I wish I had the time this morning to tell you exactly how difficult that trip would have been, but this was the path that God had chosen for them. What's important to know is it's a prophet, Micah, 700 years earlier, who says that Jesus must be born in Bethlehem. You see, Caesar Caesar thought that the census was his idea. It wasn't his idea at all. God now mobilized an entire kingdom to fulfill this. 700-year-old prophecy. God was weaving together the strands behind the scene to bring about his holy purposes. God was then and still is today in 2020 involved in the macro, in the big picture, in the global picture. Fear not, friends. God is still on the throne. He reigns forever sovereign over the affairs of men. Then Luke writes this, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and there she gave birth to a firstborn son. They wrapped that newborn baby in strips of cloth, and they laid him in a feeding trough or a manger, since there was no available room for them in the village. 
as all of heaven celebrated. Can you imagine? An order was sent to the angels to take this good news first to a handful of shepherds watching their flocks just outside Bethlehem. Let me tell you this morning why this is important. The fields where the shepherds were watching these flocks, these were the fields where the Passover sacrificial lambs were birthed. When those lambs were born, the lambs that had been chosen to be an atonement or the payment for sin of Israel's, the shepherds would wrap those lambs in strips of cloth and they would lay them in a feeding trough where there was soft hay so those sacrificial lambs would not be bruised or blemished or would have any chance of breaking any of their bones. You see, if they were going to be the sacrificial lambs, they needed to be perfect. And when the angel announced that to the shepherds, that a baby was born and he had been wrapped in strips of cloth and they found him in a manger, they knew exactly what was going on. And they began to run to find that baby. And they found him just as the angel said they were, here before their eyes. The perfect lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. No longer thousands of lambs sacrificed to cover sin, but now one perfect lamb to take away the sin of all mankind. Your sin and my sin. He came for you. He came for us. My friend, he is the one that you're looking for. I'm asking the worship team to come back this morning. I leave you with two final thoughts. 40 days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took him back to the temple where an elderly man named Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Luke 2.27 says this, For this reason, the Holy Spirit had moved him to be in the temple court at the very moment that Jesus' parents entered. Why do I I mention that this morning? Well, Well, God is indeed involved in the macro, the big picture. I often wonder if we're sure that he's involved in the smaller details of our lives, in the micro details. The Holy Spirit made sure that Simeon was at the exact spot, at the exact moment, in order to see Jesus. I love that. I was actually going to leave this point out this morning. (laughs) And then Michael started to sing. God's going to take care of every little thing. Every little thing. I wasn't sure how important this point was. And when he started to sing, the Spirit of God just whispered to me, never think that any detail, my friend, is insignificant. There is no life that's insignificant. There is no detail in your life that's insignificant. Nothing that you're going through is insignificant to God. He cares. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. It all matters. 
It all matters. I close with this. Simeon wasn't the only one in the temple that day. The Bible says there was a prophetess and her name was Anna. She'd been widowed after only seven years of marriage and she'd moved to the temple where she worshiped night and day. Anna became an intercessor for the ages. Verse 37 says, for the past 84 years, she'd been serving God night and day with prayer and fasting. And when she saw Jesus in the arms of Simeon, she rushed over and burst forth into this great chorus of praise. She was old and she was bold. You know, it's very unusual that Luke mentions Anna by name, but he doesn't just mention her by name. Then he gives her age. Some people say she was 84. Other people say no, she was in the temple for 84 years. She probably was about 105. It doesn't really matter how old she is. There's an important fact to be seen and remembered here. It's a reminder for us today that God uses people of every age and every generation to carry out his plan. It's the Christmas story that reminds us that you're never too old to make a difference. You're never too old. You're never too young. Friends, the world that we find ourselves in this Christmas is not much different than the world Jesus was born into. It was a world aching for relief, political parties at war with one another, the religious community divided into warring factions, people divided along racial lines, and into the chaos of that world, Isaiah writes that the Prince of Peace was born. And today, what was true then is still true today. Peace isn't the absence of dark. It's the assurance of God's presence in the middle of dark, in the middle of our dark. And the Prince of Peace, he steps into our waiting and our wondering. He steps into the middle of our chaos, into the middle of our broken dreams and our disappointments and our sadness. And friends, while Christmas may not be perfect, thank God the one we celebrate is. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this message. We pray that you have received truth and have been encouraged. For more information about First Assembly, how to get connected, and to listen to our latest worship albums, please visit our website at www.fa.church.